0: All right. It is good to see you today. One Life Church, if you're just now joining us, my name is Rhett. I'm the lead pastor here. It is an honor to have you with us. Hey, listen, One Life Church family, before we continue, will you do me a huge favor? Will you put your hands together? Show some love to our online church podcast family. Tell them how much you love them. Come on, let them hear you. Yeah, if you're joining us online today, I just want to say how much we love you, how much we miss you. We cannot wait to see you real soon. We love you so much. All right, you guys, we're in a series we are calling The Holy Spirit. We're in part two of that series today, but before I jump into it, I want to remind you of a couple things. First thing is small groups, everybody. Say small groups. Our small group semester in the fall kicks off in a couple of weeks here on September the 13th, goes through December the 5th. You can get all the information you want to know about small groups at olc.church. Why are small groups important? They're important because your life will never be changed without life-giving relationships. Did you hear what I just said? Your life will never be changed without life-giving. Well, I thought Jesus changes my life. Yes, he does. But he also developed a plan, and a, a plan and a process for you to experience life, and that plan is people as much as I know some of you don't like people. Come on, you can laugh in church. It's okay, let's be real, let's be honest, right? right? So we all have these preconceived ideas and misperceptions about what small groups are. Can I just tell you what they are? They're a lot of fun. You know, we've got, we've got biking small groups, we've got running small groups. I'm not a part of that running small group, as you can tell, I probably should go to that one. And so anyways, listen, if you are a small group leader, I need you to do something for me. Register. Say register. Register. I need you to register your small group. You can do that at olc.church. You can click the link that says small groups. It will take you to the registration page. We want to create opportunity for people to have a place to connect, to experience the life change that God designed that comes through people. All right, so you're saying, well, what are small groups really all about? What does it look like? I might even be interested in leading a small group. Great question. I'm glad you're asking that. Today, starting today, is our fall small group leadership training. That happens today immediately following the service at 1130, and that is going to be in our Discover room. Now, due to, first of all, thank you so much for your Uh, pivoting of change today. I know we're in the Civic Center and there are a lot of different events that happen in the Civic Center. And normally that really long hallway is open. So we had that parking lot over there. A lot of you had to walk all the way across the outside of the building to come in the side today. And I want to say thank you so much for the change. That's normally not the case. There is an event happening over here after our service. But thank you so much for having a great attitude and walking outside and enjoying a little bit of the cooler weather, somebody. Amen, right? (laughs) So we did that on purpose to try to keep you outside. No, we didn't do it on purpose. So anyway, so our rooms are kind of a little mixed around. You'll see a sign in the lobby that says Discover. That way it points you to a big gray wall. Don't go that way. That's not where it's at. Small group leadership training is actually in the back end of the hall down here past Kids Life. We have a Discover sign hanging there that happens at 1130. Small group leadership training. Here's the key key for it, okay? You can go to small group leadership training and not lead a small group. Like if you just want to go and kind of kick the tires, like pull back the veil a little bit, see what's behind the curtain, how we do things in small groups, that's a great opportunity for you. It's a little under an hour. It's a lot of fun, and I would encourage you to participate in that. If you can't do that today, I want to encourage you to attend next Sunday. It's just a one-time class. You don't have to come today and next. It's just one time. So I would encourage you, if you don't come today, come next week. And those who are listening online, it is available via Zoom. So you can get more information at olc.church. Why do I talk so much about small groups? Because it is who we are Small groups are not something we do, everybody. It is the heartbeat of everything we do here at One Life Church. And if you don't feel connected to our church, can I tell you the very first question I'm going to ask you is, what small group are you in? And most of the time, you're like, well, I'm not in a small group. I'm really busy. Yeah, a lot of us are busy. But you've got to make time for some of the most important things in your life. God, family, friends. Can I get a good amen, somebody? you got to have it. you got to have it. If you don't like the fruit of your life, look at the friends you're doing life with. Okay, that's enough of that. Small groups. All right. That's a whole other message in and of itself. All right, so we're in part two of a series called The Holy Spirit. And I just really honestly want to start off by saying, listen, I've been in ministry. Well, I've been serving the Lord for 27 years, since I was 16. Y'all do the math. I'm old. I'm getting older. Um. But I've been in ministry for 20 years, kind of off and on, whether uh, volunteer or on staff. And there's one thing that I've noticed that is a common thread after this many years of ministry. You know what it is? It's that every single one of our normals aren't normal. Like your normal, my normal is different than the other person's normal. All our normals are different normals. Why is that? Well, it could be for a a lot of reasons, right? Our background, where we're from, the part of the country we were raised in. Like, all these different things go into... Whether or not what our normal has become. And so let me ask you a question. I'm not gonna embarrass you, but I would love to know by a show of hands this morning how many of you have a Baptist background? Raise your hand, it's okay. Yeah, a few of you have a Baptist background. How many of you have a Catholic background? Anybody, a couple of people with a Catholic background? Yeah, I hear you, my friend. All right, how many of you have a Nazarene background? Nazarene, there you go. A few of you in the room this morning. Quaker background, Quaker background. Awesome. I love it. How many of you have a charismatic Pentecostal background? Go ahead and raise both of your hands, because I know you want to do that. Wave them like you just don't care. Right? (laughs) I feel you. I feel you. How many of you didn't grow up in church at all, like this was your first church experience? Anybody? Come on, man. That's what I'm talking about. Put your hands together for those. Yeah. You're actually my favorite people to speak to. No offense to all the other ones because you have an incredible blank page to work with. You don't already have these preconceived ideas and misperceptions that a lot of us have to deal with based on how we were raised. And so, listen, I like to have a lot of fun. And and by the way, the challenge that I have as a pastor, just so you know, the reason I did all that is to show you that I have a challenge as a pastor to try to bring us together from all our different normals to what God's word says. Not what man says, but let me show me what God's word says. That's what I want to know. And so today and throughout this series, that is exactly what I'm trying to do, is to show you what God's word says about the person of the Holy Spirit, who he is, and the role he wants to play in your life. Now listen, I like to have a lot of fun. I think church should be enjoyed, not endured, And with that, I like to laugh. And so one of my pastor friends of mine gave me kind of a list of light bulb jokes. You know what light bulb jokes are? You're living under a rock, if you don't know what it's like. How many people does it take to change a light bulb? That kind of thing, right? And to kind of show you some of the differences, I'm going to mess with some of our religions and denominations here for a second. So Baptist, I'm not just picking on you. I'm going to pick on everybody. Uh, how many Baptists does it change? Does it take to change a light bulb? Anybody know? Change? Who said anything about change? (laughs) Come on, y'all know that's funny. (laughs) How many charismatics does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, because their hands are already in the air, everybody. Come on. How many Pentecostals does it take to change a light bulb? Well, it takes 10. It takes one to change the bulb, and it takes nine others to bind the spirit of darkness in Jesus' name. Y'all think I'm making this up. Like, this is real. How many Catholics does it take to change a light bulb? None, because they they only use candles. That's all they use. They use candles. (laughs) Here's one of my favorites. How many Church of Christ does it take to change a light bulb? Well, none. Well, because light bulbs aren't mentioned in the New Testament, and therefore it's unscriptural. And so not just to mess with religions, here's a couple of others. How many chiropractors does it take to change a light bulb, everybody? Uh, just one, but it's going to take you six visits, okay? So how many eye doctors or optometrists does it take to change a light bulb? One or two? One or two. And some of you are like, I don't get it. Well, Just ask one of your neighbors who's wearing glasses. They'll be, they'll be glad to tell you. How many lawyers does it take to change a light bulb? Uh, well, how many can you afford? That's the real question. So, And I'll close with this. How many college students does it take to change a light bulb? I don't know. Will it be on the test? Okay, okay. So I like to laugh. Let's jump into God's Word together today because I've got so many more of these. I could just hang out there all day. But uh, we are a message note-taking church, everyone. And I want you to go to olc.church. Why? Because our online message notes are there. Listen, I don't want you to just be inspired. Man, I want you to walk away with something that you can apply in your life tomorrow, Tuesday, and the rest of the week. And I just want want you to know that we do this for you and for what it will do for you. But not only for you, what it will do for your family and for your friends. And especially throughout a series like this that could be somewhat controversial in the church. And so I want you to go there on your phone, olc.church. If you'll swipe down, you'll see a box button that says Message Notes. If you'll click that button, you'll have an opportunity to fill in some blanks as we go along today. You'll also have the opportunity to send that to you in a PDF form. You can email it. It's pretty cool. So I want to encourage you to go there as we jump into part two of this series. Now, as I mentioned last week, if there's ever a topic in the Bible, that's a hot topic, that people misunderstand or have misperceptions or preconceived ideas about it's this message about the third person of the trinity called the holy spirit and i get it i understand and here's the thing because when it comes to god the father many of us can relate to that because we can kind of see we all had a father whether it was good or bad and when it comes to jesus the son We can kind of comprehend that because, well, let's be honest, there are a ton of movies about Jesus Christ and what he came to do and how he lived his life. So we can wrap our mind around that. But when it comes to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, a lot of us were kind of scared of that word like spirit, oh, ghost. I don't know. I don't want no spirit. I don't want no ghost. You know what I'm saying? Like, am I the only one? Right? Like, when you first hear it, and here's the reality the reason many of us think that is because we've seen something, maybe we've even experienced something. That was a little weird. Maybe it was something in person or maybe it was something that we saw on television. And it's kind of weirded us out. And I want to make this statement. I made it last week. I'll make it again. My friends, God is not weird. People are weird. You don't have to look too far on television right now to see that we're living in a weird society. Right? The Holy Spirit isn't weird. People are weird. People don't, in my opinion, people don't have really a problem with the power of God. They have a problem with the packaging in which it comes. And I don't want you to throw away all that God has for you just because some few people packaged it in a weird way. God has something powerful in store for you, my friends. It's the third person of the Holy Spirit. So I want to encourage you today, if you will, today and over the next couple of weeks as we go through this series... If you will lay aside any preconceived ideas, and you'll give me a blank page, I want to show you from God's Word who this Holy Spirit is, why it's important, and the role He wants to play in your life. Now, last week, I'm not going to re-preach the message, but you need to know if you missed last week, please go to our website, olc.church, and download the podcast, or go to Apple iTunes and listen to it. It really sets the groundwork for this entire series. And I tried to do my best to give you a glimpse of the nature And the characteristics of the Holy Spirit and the role he wants to play in your life. And I really started by just simply defining the word Holy Spirit. Did you know that spirit or ghost are not mentioned in the original transcripts of the Bible in reference to the Holy Spirit? They're not. We talked about the Greek word and the Hebrew word. And how both of them translate as wind or breath of God or a breath of fresh air. And this is very vital and important to understand this characteristic as we travel in to today's message. Now today, I really want to bring clarity around a topic. Honestly, it's a word that I believe when you understand this word, it will help you understand even more why the Holy Spirit is important and what he wants to do in your life. And that is this word, Pentecost or Pentecostal. Maybe you've heard of these words. And so I'm telling you, if you will allow me, for the next half hour, a blank page, I'm going to tell you why this word is important, what it means, and the role it plays in what God wants to do in your life. And I'm going to show it to you in the Bible. And the discussion around this word, Pentecost, actually begins in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And let's read this, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It says, when the day of, everybody say that word out loud, Pentecost. See, some of you are afraid to even say the word. It's because you have a misrepresentation of things you've seen or heard that you've put and attached to this word. And I wanna show you, this is where the discussion of the confusion really begins for many Christians today. And this is where it started. Acts chapter two, verse one. When the day of Pentecost came. Now time out, I wanna give you a little history before this point. Now some of you know this, some of you don't. So I'm gonna give you the Cliff Notes version of what God did for us. So Adam and Eve were the first man and woman. They sinned, brought separation between them and God. There was a God wanted a relationship with us, but there was sin. There was a barrier in the way, so there had to be a be be a price to be paid for the sin that separated us from God. And so, what happened? Fast forward, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, a perfect sacrifice. And what happened is, He was born of a virgin. Her name was Mary. Jesus grew up. He lived thirty-three sinless years on this planet. He died. And when he died, he was in the tomb for three days. He resurrected on the third day came back to life, and here's where it gets really cool. Like he's popping through walls, walking in, kind of like, what's up, fellas? Talking to the people he hung out with, right? And they're like, whoa, that's Jesus, right? And so Jesus is in his glorified body for 40 days, hanging out on earth, talking about, giving some final instructions on kind of, hey, this is what's gonna happen next, and this is how you need to live. And one of the final instructions that Jesus Christ gave to his closest friends that we call the disciples, he said, hey guys, listen." Listen, I'm about to go and be with my father. I'm actually gonna sit at his right hand. Into which many of you are like, Jesus, why are, you, why are you checking out on us, man? We need you. And Jesus said, No, it is more important for me to go to the father so that I can have a conversation with God and send you somebody that's gonna help you live your life on this earth. And you're thinking to yourself, I am at least Jesus. I don't need nobody else. I need you. Who else can die? Rise again. Like who, I mean, like, And Jesus said, no, 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 no. It is so important that you understand this, my friends, that you need somebody to help you live life on this earth. I'm in heaven. Jesus right now is seated at the right hand of God. I thought he was in my heart. He is by the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is what he said, would come and would empower us and would help us. Now, check this out. Jesus is on earth for 40 days. On the 40th day, he gives the final instructions. He says, now go, wait in Jerusalem until I send you what you're going to need, this helper. So Jesus goes to heaven. Some days go by. It just happens to be 10 days that go by. And guess what happened? This verse, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, on day number 50... When Pentecost came, the very first church was born. What happens is the Holy Spirit that God promised shows up in a very wonderful, powerful, and amazing way, in my opinion, from what the Bible describes. And this is where the first church was born. And you need to understand this is so vital to where we're going today. The first church was born. The Holy Spirit was poured out on a Jewish holiday called Pentecost. See, a lot of us as Americans, we don't understand this word. We don't get it, but the Jewish, the Jews, they would have understood this because this is actually on the Jewish calendar every year. It's a holiday, much like we have Easter, much like we have 4th of July, we have Thanksgiving, and we have Christmas. We have, four, like, right, as Americans, we have those holidays, right? I'm not alone. Don't leave me alone, right? Amen. So the, the Jews also had holidays in which they celebrated, and this is absolutely important to what I want to teach you today. Again, we don't get it. We don't understand it, so I'm having to teach you. But the Jews would have understood what's happening. And so Jesus happens to show up on a holiday that they're celebrating, and there are some unique characteristics to this holiday that I want to show you. But before I jump into this holiday and give you this one, I want to set it up with another holiday that's very unique to the characteristics that God wants to do in your life. And and the bottom line is this. Jesus used holidays to give people a picture of what he wanted to do in their life. And so to help you understand a couple of these holidays, to help you understand your Bible a little little bit more, today's going to be a little bit of teaching, okay? Some of you who like that, you're really going to enjoy today. So that's why notes are so important. To show you the beauty of what God wants to do in you and what has for you, you need to know about the first major holiday before we get to this one, Pentecost. And that is Passover. Passover. Everybody say Passover. Passover. So what is Passover? Well, Passover was one of like three major holidays on the Jewish calendar. Again, we're Americans. We don't get it. We don't understand it. So I want to teach you a little bit. So Passover was an annual celebration that the Jews always got together and they celebrated the fact... That their sons didn't die in a plague back in the day when they were slaves in Egypt. And I'll tell you why this is important. So back up a little bit. So the Israelites or the Hebrew nation, God's chosen people, right? They didn't have a home. They didn't have a land. They were kind of hanging out in a little land called Canaan. Well, there was this huge famine all across the land. All across the world, there was no food to be eaten at all. And so there was only one country that had a ton of food. It was Egypt. So they gather together as a Hebrew nation, and they move their family to Egypt. And it works out pretty good for them at first. But then over 400 years go by, and the pharaohs all of a sudden don't like the Hebrews, and they've enslaved the Hebrews to hard manual labor. They would beat them. Like, it was horrible. It was slaves at the bottom level, slaves. And so God obviously didn't want his people to be slaves. He wanted them to be free. So within this 400-year period, God raises up a deliverer because the Israelites are going, God, where are you? Send us a deliverer. And guess who he sent? He raised up Moses, who had a burning bush experience. God, I don't know why I talked to him through a bush, but he did. Talked to Moses, said, go to the Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. You ever seen the movie, like, Prince of Egypt, right, growing up? Right And so Moses goes to the Pharaoh on behalf of the Hebrew nation and says, let my people go, God says. And Pharaoh says, "Nope, ain't going to happen. These are my slaves. They're the ones that are getting the work done. They ain't going nowhere. So God gets pretty upset. And God gets upset and says, no, I don't think so. I'm going to start sending plagues among the Egyptians. So it started off with like the water turning to blood, flies, gnats, locusts, boils. You get the picture. So plague after plague, God was trying to get Pharaoh's attention, saying, I want you to let my people go. And Pharaoh would say, okay, listen, if you'll get rid of the flies, then I'll let them go. God would get rid of the flies, Pharaoh would change his mind. And this happened over and over and over again, ten times. So again, God's people are enslaved. He wants them free. Y'all hanging with me here? All right. And so what happens here at this point is God gets fed up and says, okay, I didn't really want to have to do this, but Pharaoh, you're playing hardball, so I'm going to have to come right back at you. Here's the 10th plague that I'm about to send you if you don't let my people out. I'm going to kill the firstborn of every male in Egypt. You're like, Rhett, that's pretty intense. It was pretty intense. But it's the only thing that could get Pharaoh's attention. Pharaoh's like, I don't believe it. And so what happened is that God said, I'm going to send a death angel through Egypt. And this death angel is going to kill the firstborn male of everyone in Egypt. Now, of course, he did not want to kill his own kids, right? His sons and daughters, he didn't want to do that. So he made a plan. And what was the plan? So what I'm about to tell you about the beauty of Passover. Here's the plan. He said, I need you to sacrifice a lamb. I need you to take the blood of that lamb. And I need you to put the blood on the frame of that doorpost from top to bottom, all the way around it. And for every doorpost... And for every family that's in that house that is marked with the blood of the lamb, when that death angel comes through, I'm going to save you and I'm going to pass you over. I'm going to pass over you. You're going to be saved. You're going to be fine. You're going to do just, you're going to be well. Nobody's going to die in your household. So check this out. That's exactly what happened. So fast forward, all right? Fast forward this. The Egyptian. I mean, uh, the Hebrews are saved. The Egyptians are mad. They kick the Hebrew nation out. They go running through the Red Sea. The Red Sea parts. Pharaoh gets mad, comes behind them, wanting to chase them down because he's lost all his slaves. The Red Sea pounds right on top of them, kills Pharaoh and all the Egyptians. And so God's people are finally free after 400 years. So check this out. Because of what God did, God said, okay, hey, because I did this for you, because I delivered you, because your son didn't die, because you put the blood of the lamb, I want you to remember this. I don't want you to forget this. This is so important. And so they created an annual holiday. Guess what they called it? They called it Passover. They called it Passover. And here's how they celebrated Passover. Check this out. The Passover lamb was sacrificed at 9 a.m., so they would take a lamb every year, and they would sacrifice it at 9 a.m. Then, according to Jewish holiday law, check this out the lamb was put in the oven at 3 p.m. So you're, st- you're, you're still a sinner, but the lamb's blood it covers. It's important to understand. And then, check this out like the whole purpose was to remind them. The lamb sacrifice covered their sins. Sorry, I jumped one on you. The lamb was put in the oven at 3 p.m. And then the lamb sacrifice covered their sins. That was the point of the celebration. Saying, hey, you're, you're still a sinner, but your sins are covered. Now, here's what's fascinating. I need you to understand that Jesus Christ himself died, gave his life as a sacrifice on the same Jewish holiday. Y'all check that out? You'll miss it if you Jesus died on Passover holiday, my friends, on the exact day. And what happened? Look at this. Jesus was sacrificed at 9 a.m. on Passover. Guess what time he was put in the tomb? Jesus was put in the tomb at 3 p.m. So the lamb went in the oven and Jesus went in the tomb. And then his sacrifice doesn't cover our sins, my friends. Jesus' sacrifice removes our sin. Gone forever. To God be the glory. Amen. And I want you to understand this. Matthew 5.17 says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but I've come to fulfill them. In other words, Jesus saying, Hey, I didn't come to abolish the holiday called Passover. I didn't come to abolish that. I actually came to accomplish it and to accomplish its purpose on the earth. Well, alright, you're making this stuff up. No, I'm not. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. My Look at this. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Why? 1 John 2:2. Two, two. He died in our place to take away our sins, and not only our sins but the sins of all people. So in the New Testament, it's important for you to understand that Passover represents, look at this, write this down, salvation. Passover represents salvation. My friends. salvation is the most important, the first most important, most significant step in your spiritual journey. It's coming into a relationship with God. You need to understand something. God created you on purpose, for a purpose, and that purpose, my friends, was to know God to know God, to be in a relationship with him. And his second purpose was that once you come into a relationship with him and you know him, it's important now that your life begins to make a difference. But too often times, my friends, we get this backwards. We try to make a difference with our life in order to try to get in good standing with God and to know him. And it's dangerous when you begin to get this out of order. Because a lot of us are like, well, I'm praying, I'm going to church, I'm serving, I'm giving, I'm sharing, I'm doing all this. Did you know Jesus Christ himself said in Matthew 7, it's not on the screen. He said, many will say unto me that day, Lord, Lord, did I not make a difference with my life? And then God says, depart from me for I never, I never knew you. God says, yeah, there are people on this planet doing a lot of great things, making a difference with their life, but they don't know me. So making a difference is important, but it can't come before the first most significant journey in your life. And that is salvation with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And my friends, it's a free gift. I want to remind you, Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, nine, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works. Not by making a difference with your life. So why? So that no one can boast and say, I saved myself. No, you didn't, brother. No, you didn't, sister. Salvation is a free gift. It only comes through Jesus Christ. You cannot earn it. It has been given. It's free. It's been done. You cannot do enough good for it, my friends. But I want you to understand this. Why are you talking about Passover? I thought this had everything to do with the Holy Spirit. Check this out. Salvation is the first step in your significant spiritual journey, but there are other steps to take. Your Christian experience isn't just to be wrapped up in salvation. My friends, God wants you to experience more. He wants you to experience more. Well, what does he want us to experience? I'm glad you asked. It's what today in this series is all about. Let's look at the second major holiday that the Jews would celebrate on their Jewish calendar and that Christ came to fulfill, and it's important for where we're headed today and that is second major holiday is Pentecost. Everybody say Pentecost. Pentecost. So what is Pentecost? What is that word? I don't want to scare you. I don't want to freak you out, okay? It's going to be a little hard to receive, but you ready for the meaning of this? It means 50. Woo, run for the hills. I know, right? Ah. The literal translation of this word is pent. Pent means five. And cost or coste in the literal translation means to the 10th power, which literally means 5 times 10 or 50. 50. (laughs) 50 days after Passover. And so you're thinking, okay, what in the world is so important? Why in the world? Like what happened 50 days after Passover that was so worthy of being celebrated? This is where God met with Moses at Mount Sinai and gave him the Ten Commandments and wrote his law on stone. I want to just give you the cliff notes of this. So the Israelites escaped Egypt. They're out of Egypt. They're headed to the promised land that God promised him. They came to a mountain called Mount Sinai, which also a lot of theologians believe it's where Moses was called by God to deliver the Israelites, where Moses spoke to God. And so the presence of God showed up and this is what they celebrated. You ready? What happened? A cloud. Look at this. A cloud descended With a loud noise and fire. You can read about this in the book of Exodus. God called Moses up a mountain. And check this out. God wrote his law on tablets of stone or the Ten Commandments. And while Moses was on the mountain, the Israelites thought he was there just a little bit too long. So they forget about Moses. They don't think he's coming back. In fact, they take matters into their own hand. They reject God. They take all their gold, throw it in a fire, create a golden calf and begin to worship what their hands made. Why? Because they couldn't stand waiting on God and waiting on. They wanted to take matters in their own hand and move things forward a lot faster and they thought that that would be a good idea. But my friends, it wasn't a good idea. God got upset. Moses came off the mountain upset was furious and unfortunately the Israelites were punished that day and over 3,000 people died. 3,000 people died. So this holiday that the Jews would celebrate, they celebrated remembering that this was a day that a cloud moved in and a loud noise, fire. God met with Moses and they were given the rules and regulations of how to have a relationship, they thought, with God. And because they rejected God, they also remembered in this holiday, I don't want to reject God again because the last time we rejected God, we paid for it. 3,000 people died. Now, don't miss this. Christ came to fulfill the law. Christ didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. Now, remember, Christ died. He rose again. But before he ascends to heaven, check this out. He's hanging out on earth for how many days? days. 40 days. He goes to heaven after giving the disciples some final instructions. How many days go by before Pentecost comes for the disciples? Ten days. If you add 40 plus 10, what's the number that you get? Yeah, it's not rocking sides. science. 40 plus 10 equals 50. Jesus Christ himself fulfills Pentecost through the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Again, when the day of Pentecost, when the day of 50, 50 days past Passover, check this out. The promised Holy Spirit shows up. And this is what happens. The Holy Spirit descended with a loud sound and fire. Instead, the law was written on stone. And God wrote his law on our hearts. Remember, the law was written on stone with Moses. God wrote his law on our hearts. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. And guess how many people, you guys, guess how many people's lives are changed. Guess how many people gave their heart to Jesus Christ. You ready for this? 3,000 people got saved. Let me show it to you in the Bible, Acts chapter 1, 3 through 5. After his suffering, referring to Jesus on the cross, Jesus presented himself to them. He gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Many people said, Jesus, are you really Jesus? I mean, you look like Jesus, but man, can you show me your hands? And Jesus said, yeah, look at my hands. Look at where the, the nails went in my hands. In fact, I'll show you my side. Look at where the spear went into my side, Jesus would say. And then look, it says he appeared to them over a period of 40 days. See, I didn't make that up. And he spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Final instruction. He goes, okay, guys, before I go to heaven, look at this. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father promised. Check this out. Jesus Christ paid for sins. They experienced that. But Jesus says himself, hey, I've got something else in store for you that goes way beyond salvation. Look at this. You've heard me speak about it. He goes on to say, for John baptized with water. But in a few days, which happened to be 10, which completed the 40, which was 50. He said, it hasn't happened yet. But on that day, you will be baptized with, everybody say those two words, the Holy Holy Spirit." Spirit. Why? Because he said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you need to have power. See that little yellow word right there on the top of the line? Power. This is what you need, my friends. You need power. Notice that this word has nothing to do with salvation again. But this word has everything to do with what you need on this earth to live a successful life on this earth. And he says, When you receive power, the Holy Spirit comes on you. Why? Because God has a job for you. I need you to. Look at this. I need you to be my witnesses. And he says to the world around you, He says, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, what is Jesus saying? This would be like Jesus telling you today Hey, my friends, One Life Church, I want you to make a difference in the Treasure Valley, in the city of Boise. I want you to make a difference in Idaho, the Pacific Northwest, America, and to the ends of the earth. But my friends, you cannot do it alone. You need power to pull it off. There's more to the Christian experience than just having your sins forgiven. You need to receive power to live this life on earth that I'm calling you to live. So what does Pentecost mean? It means write this down in your notes. Here it is. You ready for it? Here's the definition. Pentecost simply means it's the power to make a difference. This is what Pentecost is all about, you guys. It's to give you power to make a difference. It's not self entertainment. It's not people falling over, going into some kind of hypnotic trance. It's not about swinging on some chandeliers, (laughs) jumping over pews, acting crazy, going from revival to revival all across the land. No, no, no. No. It's to give you power that your life will make a difference in the life of somebody else. God wants to empower you to make a difference. In fact, I'm going to give you three things, and then we'll close. God wants to empower you with this, my friends. The Holy Spirit empowers you to live righteously. Put that down in your notes. I'm telling you, you're going to need this. You're going to need this. The Holy Spirit empowers you to live righteously. There are many of you in this room. You love God. Like you love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, but you're struggling. You're struggling with porn, you're struggling with addictions, you're struggling with sleeping around, you're struggling with a lot of different things. I'm just gonna be real in here, okay, guys? Can I just be honest? We're dealing with some junk in America. You love God, and you're going, why in the world am I doing all this? Why am I struggling? Well, my friends, you're struggling because you're you've been saved, you've experienced salvation. You love God, but you've not received the power in order that you need to live this life out righteously that God has called you to. You've not received it yet. I'm telling you, if you still continue to struggle, it's because you're approaching God out of the external things that you're trying to do. It's more, I got to do this. I got to go to church. I got to pray because it's what God wants me to do in order for me to have a relationship. No, 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 no. You got it all wrong. You're going to struggle if that is your approach. And my friends, God doesn't want you to struggle. God wants you to have power to live an overcoming life in every area of your life. And it begins with allowing the Holy Spirit to come on the inside to do a transformational work from the inside out. Not the outside in, but from the inside out. Red, right, are you sure? Let me show it to you in the Bible. Romans 8, 9. My friends, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature. And <laughs> some of you are saying, oh, yes, I am. <laughs> oh, I'm totally controlled by the sinful nature. Well, you're not if the Spirit of God lives in you. If the Spirit of God lives in you, you're not controlled by that nature anymore. So what is he saying? He's saying when the Holy Spirit begins to come alive on the inside of your life and you welcome him, a transformation takes place. The Ten Commandments that are written on stone that you're trying to live out externally now all of a sudden become miraculously written and inscribed on your heart. And it goes from duty, like i got to do this, to delight. It goes from i got to do this to, man, I get to do this. It goes from, it's, it changes. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, again, writes it on my heart. Well, read that's your opinion. <laughs> Jeremiah, look at this, chapter 31, verse 33. Jeremiah prophesied about Jesus Christ, not only what he would do, but even what the Holy Spirit would do in our life 600 years before Christ even came. Look at this. This is the covenant, God speaking, that I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds, and I will write it on their hearts. In other words, my friends, it becomes a part of you. And I want you to experience that so badly. I want this for your life. Why? Because it is so much fun. It is so much fun when you serve God. out of man, I... God, you're awesome. I get to do this because I know who you are. You're providing it on my heart. I don't want to do those things anymore. Not necessarily because they're bad or even good. I just, I just want to be with you. How does that happen? People ask me all the time, How in the world did you live your life the way you lived it? I'm like, You really don't want to know. I'm going to tell you, but you really don't want to know. And they're like, No, 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 tell me. And I said, It's the friendship and the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I'm like, Oh, yeah, you're right. I don't really want to deal with that. I'm like, well, you don't want what I have then. It doesn't have to be weird, my friends, to experience what God's ha- what God has for you. In fact, I love a part of the role of the Holy Spirit, John 16, 13 through 14. Jesus said the Holy Spirit's role is to lead you into all truth. Look at this. When the spirit of truth comes, he'll lead you into all truth. Many of us aren't being led into truth. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's role is not active in our life. But look at this. He will not speak his own words, check this out, but he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. He goes on to say, the Spirit of truth will bring glory to me, because he will take what I have to say. The Holy Spirit speaks Jesus' words, everybody, and he tells it to you. In other words, he helps you make decisions. The Holy Spirit's role is to help you make decisions. In other words, you might be saying, man, that really looks right, but something in your heart's like, yeah, I know that looks right, but... You really don't want to go that way. In fact, you need to go this way. And you're like, really? Because that looks easier. And God's like, no, 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 really. I I want to take you this way. Check this out. Look at this. Isaiah chapter 30, 21. I'll show it to you. Whether you turn to the right or the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. This is the way. I wouldn't click that button if I were you. I wouldn't respond to that message on Facebook if I were you. I would actually spend a little bit more time with my kids, with my wife. And I might not want to respond with that anger. I know you're mad and frustrated, but I I want to help you rein that in a little bit and give you some softer words to speak. It's what the Holy Spirit does. This is what he does. This is his role in our life. This is the way walking in. I'll just tell you from our story. In 2015, uh, God called me to plant a church. (laughs) I basically did that when I heard that voice in my head. I was at a conference minding my own business, just enjoying some worship. And God said, hey, Rhett, uh, tap, tap, you know, not physically, but internally I could feel it. He said, hey, Rhett, you see what's happening right now? Yeah, I'm calling you to plant a church. And I'm like, did y'all just hear, did somebody hear that? Did y'all hear that? Because I, like, I don't think that was God. Because I'm really comfortable, I'm really happy, I'm making more money than I've ever made. I've got my dream house, I'm in the country, I've got some land, and it's awesome. I just get to lead worship. I didn't have the pressure of having to lead a church and deal with all that other stuff. You know, I just got to sing, and that was a lot of fun. God, are you sure you're calling me to plant a church? He said, yeah, I'm calling you to plant a church. And here's the thing, I shared that with my wife, and of course it took her about a year to get on board with that one. I was like, "Well, Holy Spirit, if you spoke to me, you to have to speak to my wife." So a year goes by, same conference, another city. God speaks to her. She comes to me, and she said, "Yep." I'm like, "What? Yep. Yeah. What does that mean?" She said, uh, "We're called the Planet Church." I'm like, "Oh my God! My like, God! What? What did you just do with my wife?" And <laughs> 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 check this out. That sounds great, but you gotta understand, I didn't have any money, like money. You know what I'm saying? Like it takes money to plant a church, uh, and I didn't know anybody outside of my network in the south. And so we begin to pray. Where are you gonna plant? I don't know. We're, we're looking in the south. We're looking at all roads leading to easy. Like I can plant about two hours away from here, and I think this many people will come with us to help us, you know what I'm saying? And all I could see out of easy, like, I'm thinking, well, God, you should, this is the way to go. And all I could see is a state on the other side of the country. Y'all, I'm from Birmingham, Alabama. On the other side of the country was a state, beautiful state called Idaho that I never even heard of. I thought it was Iowa. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Like a good friend of mine told me, like, "Oh, you moving to Iowa?" I looked that up. That's in the middle. I'm like, "Bro, it's Idaho. It's on the other side." Like, well, let me flip the globe around. Oh, there it is. I'm like, "God, seriously? I don't know anybody there. I don't have any money. I'm all in, but are you sure about this?" And you know what I found out? Where God guides, He provides. He simply does. This church is ha- The miracle that is One Life Church is happening, not because we're great. It was just we were obedient to go, okay, God, I'm going to take a step. This is where your Holy Spirit speaks. Here we go. With every step, there was provision. And here we are today, almost two years into it, 210 people have made decisions to follow Jesus Christ. Come on, put your hands together. That's to the glory of God. It has nothing to do with me, my wife, or our family. It has everything to do with God. That's the importance of hearing God's voice in your life. Now, he may not be calling you to plant a church yet. <laughs> <laughs> he, just might actually, he might actually just call you to say, tell your husband or your wife, I love you. I mean, that could be the simple next step. But the Holy Spirit speaks to these things in your life. Here's the second thing, the role of the Holy Spirit. He not only empowers you to live righteously, the Holy Spirit empowers you to live Supernaturally. Supernaturally. And this is where I started getting a hold up from the Baptist in the room. Well, I don't know about this supernatural stuff. I love you, Baptists. Listen, a part of my life was growing up Baptist. I get it, okay? I'm with you, right? Here's the thing. Many of us don't have a problem with Jesus being supernatural. How many of y'all know Jesus lived a supernatural life? Yeah. Right? He healed the sick. He opened blind eyes. The lame began to walk. He took dead people and brought them back to life. You know, the brother lived a supernatural, powerful life. None of us have a problem with Jesus living a supernatural life, but all of a sudden you say, now my life has to reflect a supernatural life like that. I don't know about that. Did you know that Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, verse 12, i tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me, talking to Christians, will do the same works that I have done and even greater works because why? I'm going to the Father and I'm going to give you somebody that's going to help you live this thing out. This is a bold declaration. My friends, again, the power of God doesn't have to be weird to still believe that God does miracles today. He is the same today as he was yesterday and will be forevermore. He healed then, he'll heal now, and he'll heal forevermore. He opened blind eyes then, he will now, and he will forevermore. My God is a supernatural, miracle-working, powerful God. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Oh, my goodness. I'm telling you. It doesn't have to be weird for God to still do miracles. The Bible says in Acts chapter 10, 38, you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Why? To heal the sick, to open blind eyes, to help people, to love and to set people free. It says, it goes on, then Jesus went around doing good. God wasn't showing off. He was just simply doing what was in his nature to love and serve people. And what was that? He was healing people. Every single person who was oppressed by the devil, how? Because God was with him. And this is my hope and prayer every Sunday that you experience this, my friends. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4 through 5, and we're getting to close really quick. Paul said, my message and preaching aren't with wise and persuasive words. I want you to know, my friends, this Alabama boy who moved over 2,000 miles to come and speak to you today is not speaking to you with wise and persuasive words but I'm trying my best with the help of the Holy Spirit to present you the gospel of Jesus Christ with the demonstration of the Spirit's power. Why? So that your faith might not rest on a boy from Alabama or men's wisdom, but on God's power. My friends, look me in the eyes. Your marriage can be healed. You can be set free. The addiction that you've struggled with all your life, you can find freedom from that. God wants to heal you. There's power available to you, but it comes through the third person of the Trinity, which is the Holy Spirit. And if you'll give us a chance as a church, we will take you on this journey. Small groups are about to kick off in a few weeks. There is one small group, I've never said this before in the history of our church. I'm saying it today. If there is one small group that I want every single person to attend at some point in their spiritual journey, it's a small group called Freedom. It's a 12 week curriculum course. That will take you through breaking free from the past and the bondage that has been holding you down for so long and begin to teach you how to walk in God's power. It will change your life. And here's the last one: God wants to empower you. Are you ready for this? Number three. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live on a mission. To live on ever say mission? My friends, we are the church and we exist not for what we get out of it. We are the church and we exist for the world. My friends, we are on mission here at One Life Church to help people know God, to come into a relationship with Him. We are called by God to help people find freedom from their past. We are called by God to help you discover your purpose. And we are called by God to see you living your best life, making a difference in your family, in your community, in the city and around the world. We're here to feed the hungry, to take care of orphans and widows. We're here to help women and children be rescued from sex trafficking. We're here to plant other life-giving churches, not only in our valley, but in other places where there are not life-giving churches. We're here to make a difference and to bring the light of God's truth and his hope and his love to a broken world. And I'm gonna make this statement, listen, if you are looking for a church that is all about me, myself, and I, you have come to the wrong church or well, what are you saying? You're not going to pray for us? Take care? No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. Hear me. We're going to pray for you. Absolutely. We're going to surround you. Absolutely. Are we going to do life with you? Absolutely. Are we going to help you in every way we can? Absolutely. Yes. But it's more than just what we get out of it. If you're just looking for a Christian consumerism experience where you sit in your fat, lazy boy Christianity chair, throw your feet up and say, come on, church, bless me today. What are you going to entertain me with today? Ah, nope, nope, we ain't. you come to the wrong. There are plenty of other churches you can go and do that. But if you want to come to a place that will encourage you and speak the truth in love and encourage you and empower you to stand up and to step out and to make a difference with your life so you can experience the fulfillment that comes from that, my friend. You're in the right place. You're in the right place. We'll close with this final scripture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. Our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. What is Paul saying? He's saying, my friends, our lives are changed when we begin to experience the power of the breath of God, the Holy Spirit. And I want that so desperately for you. Now listen to my heart, I'm gonna close with a pet peeve. One of my pet peeves with this, and I've seen this personally, and I've experienced and I've even walked it, I'm not proud of it. I'm actually ashamed of it back in the past. Is that when people pursue the power of the Holy Spirit in their life, this is typically what happens. If God can't keep you from it, I mean if the devil can't keep you from it, he's gonna to try to take what God gave you and he's gonna to try to distort it. And what he'll do is if you're not careful Christians, for those who are pursuing this, pride will set in your heart. Pride will set in your heart. And you'll begin to walk. Well, I got something you ain't got. <laughs> Look at me. I got the power of the Holy Spirit. Woo! You know? Pride has no place in this teaching. Pride has no place in the body of Christ. Pride has no place in the presence of a holy God. No place for pride. Pride. So I'm gonna close with a statement that I believe will articulate what I'm really honestly trying to teach you. And that is, write this down. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, it doesn't make me better than you. It just simply makes me better than me. The Holy Spirit, it just makes me better than me. In order for me to live a life where I'm not tempted to cheat on my wife, just being real. And I'm not talking physically, I'm talking emotionally. The thing that powers me to be able to live the overcoming life as a man in America in the 20th century with how much pornography is on the television and on your computer and on your phone. The power that I have to overcome that life and that I have overcome as a part of my history is the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you are struggling with handling your finances. The power you need to handle your finances comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you are struggling in your marriage, and your relationships. The power of the Holy Spirit is what gives you what you need to overcome. My friends, I need the Holy Spirit, and so do you. Will you bow your head and close your eyes, and we'll close here in three minutes. My friends, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. The most significant first step in everybody's spiritual journey in this room today is your relationship with God. It's not about making a difference with your life. It's simply receiving a free gift that God gave you through his son, Jesus Christ. Christ and my friends today if you were to die today I hate to be so upfront and brunt I've never been this way but I'm telling you I feel like it is time if you knew today that if you were to die in a car wreck when you left here today would you spend eternity with God in heaven or would you die in eternity apart from him separated from him with your guilt with your shame it's not a game church is not a game Eternity is on the line in this moment. And my friend, if you are not confident in the fact that you could say, if I die today, I know without a doubt, without a shadow of doubt that I have a relationship with God and I'm going to come into a relationship with him. I know who he is. Like if you are without a doubt, know that good for you. But if not, and you're like, man, I'm dealing with guilt. I'm dealing with shame. I'm dealing with addiction. I'm dealing with so much hurt. I need Jesus in my life. If that's you today, it would be my honor to pray for you. I'm not going to call you down front. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. But I would love to know who you are so I can say a simple prayer with you right now in this moment. Would you be so bold as to raise your hand and say, you know what? I need Jesus. I want to experience his life. I want to experience his hope. I need him. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. You can put the hands down. Say a simple prayer like this. Just say, Jesus, I receive what you've done for me. Forgive me. Change me. Come live inside of me. I believe you died and rose again. I believe you paid for my sin. And I declare you as my Lord and Savior. I put my faith and my trust in you. I give you my life. I give you everything. And now this is very important. Pray to say, Holy Spirit, fill me with your power to make a difference in this world and in my family. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. Would you put your hands together today and celebrate with the lives that have been changed? Amen.